It's a funny place to be, stuck in a seemingly mundane world with an inner knowing that the universe is so much more than our mortal minds can comprehend. Yet we all have the capacity to know peace and our oneness with the wholeness of life. And through these interviews, discussions, and reflections, it is my intention to share this possibility. I'm Ryan Kurzak, and this is the Kriya Yoga Podcast. I received numerous questions lately regarding uh, what it's like to experience crisis through your spiritual path. Uh, one question dealt with the idea of why is it often considered uh, that spiritual awakening is a crisis of sorts or can bring a sense of crisis. Another uh, individual wrote to me uh, describing the practices that they were doing um, related to exploring what is their true nature, what am I? And as this person dug deeper into the process, not just the philosophy, but the actual activity, found that um, the deeper they go, the more they start to see that the sense of I as a personality with all its likes, its dislikes, with its loved ones, with its plans and dreams, with its memories that it wishes it could forget, that when that starts to be seen as something ephemeral or not ultimately true, and this was in reference to our study of the holy science, uh, where Sri Yukteswar describes the experience of the world as essentially being ephemeral and like a dream to one who is awake to such things. Uh, but this person began to have fear around it. They didn't want to proceed. They didn't want to continue doing the practice. There was resistance there to it because it seemed like there was uh, a threat to everything that they held dear. And all this ties together to the idea of a spiritual crisis. Um, because when you start digging into what is the truth of things, you might find some things out that you didn't quite want to know. Many people come to the spiritual path thinking that somehow it's going to result in a superhuman experience where you maintain your personality, you maintain your likes and your dislikes, but for some reason all of your likes are amplified and they surround you and all of your dislikes disappear and then you have control over what happens to you and in all of that you recognize that you are one with the infinite consciousness and there's uh, not a thing to worry about. But all that sort of pivots on the idea of uh, by realizing this notion of God's self as being what you really are, uh, what they're really wanting to identify with is this notion of being that big man in the sky who pulls all the strings. And so there's a sense of security in thinking by participating in this, by following this path, I want to become one with the big guy in the sky, and now I will be able to pull all the strings, which means if I see someone in sorrow and sadness, I'll be able to just manipulate uh, creation and reality so that they feel better, or if difficulties come in my life, then by simply changing my thought patterns or emotional nature, all of that will be corrected and well, and negative experiences or... Um, experiences of extreme change uh, won't trouble me. But when you go deeper into the philosophy and the process, um, 
again, referring to the holy science, um, the reason this is on my mind so much is because we've been doing a holy science class uh, recently, um, going through the text as it relates to our spiritual practices. But in chapter 3, Shri Yukteswar summarizes the process of finding salvation, of realizing the, the object of the heart. And there's so much there that we have to discuss. For example, the object of the heart and what is salvation. Let's, let's hold on to that and come back to that. But in the procedure, he describes that part of the procedure is penance. And he says, penance is patience or even-mindedness in all conditions. Equanimity amidst the essential dualities of maya, cold and heat, pain and pleasure, etc. So part of the process of uh, awakening, clarifying your consciousness is practicing patience, even-mindedness in all conditions, which means releasing attachment identification to uh, defining yourself through fears, through wants, through pleasure, through pain, through uh, the duality of experience. And that's, that's the procedure. Um, and when you practice this procedure, well, then you actually embody even-mindedness, meaning that, in a sense, you lose a lot of your personal preferences. And again, this is challenging when we are identified with a personality, a mind, and a body. And this is why there is the sense of crisis around awakening, because if you have a very uh, acute experience that kind of shakes you out of the realization, the, the, the feeling that you are your body, well, that can be very jarring. Or if you have an acute experience that all of a sudden points out how silly your personality uh, quirks are compared to the, the bigger picture, the bigger scheme of things, that can be very jarring. But if through consistent study and practice and contemplation, it unfolds naturally, you begin to notice, well, you know, this thing that used to bother me really doesn't bother me anymore, and I'm okay. You know, this, this, this anger or this frustration that I held on to that sort of made me who I am a little bit, and I had a little bit of false pride in there about it, well, I see that it's fallen away, and I don't really, it doesn't bother me anymore, yet I still exist and I'm still free. Um, or as you grow and as you age and as you mature, spiritually speaking, you begin to recognize that the people that are in your life, that they're expressions of this infinite potential. But the longer you go through life, you see that people have come in and people have gone out. Some people have left peacefully. Some people have left um, through pain. But the clearer you become, you recognize, oh, but I'm still okay. I, the I, the real I that is eternal, has witnessed this rise and fall and it's, it's still okay. So when you have that kind of gradual progression of wisdom that comes upon you, what well, makes it much easier to um, eventually recognize 
that even the you that you think you are as a personality with a name and family history and legacy to pass on, you're not really attached to it anymore. You don't mind participating in it. You don't mind enjoying it while it's there. But you know that it's going to fade away too. And throughout that entire process, what you've been constantly, subtly returning your awareness back to was that that infinite, the best that words can do, that infinite observational awareness in which everything happens. You start to recognize that that is really what you are. And so again, you become less tweaked with the polarities and the dualities. Does it mean that as you develop this wisdom and clarity uh, through age or through practice or through cultivation that uh, difficult things don't come your way, challenges don't arise that would stress out, you know, a, a person who doesn't have a whole lot of wisdom? No, it's just that you see it in a perspective. If someone uh, develops an illness, and uh, whereas when you were in your teens and your 20s and they were a loved one, your whole life is crushed. Well, even if you don't engage in spiritual practices, uh, as you age and as you get older, you see people passing and you see the reality of illness. And that can stress you out more if you keep letting it trigger you, or you can see it as a cycle of nature that we're all going to go through, and it loses its sting a bit. But again, the challenge that many people have is when they read something, like in The Holy Science, and uh, it just points out from the get-go uh, that this world is ephemeral, that the ideas of time and space and individuality are, are just simply ideas and that is all. In the same way that when you are dreaming, when you are dreaming, you truly feel that what, what is happening in the dream is really happening. Your, your awareness, your consciousness, if it doesn't know that it's dreaming, the stuff you experience in a dream while you are dreaming is experienced as real as when you are awake. However, when you wake up, unless it was a very intense dream, you look back upon it and you say, oh, wow, that was a dream. Uh, I, I don't even know what was going on there, but I'm glad I woke up. Well, when we have this awakening experience through our spiritual and meditation practices, it usually happens gradually. We begin to see that in, in this life as well. That's why when an awakened one says, um, time, space, sense of individuality. It's just a play of mere ideas. Well, that person is saying it from the vantage point that you would say, well, that dream, that was an interesting dream. That's the kind of relationship that's there in those, um, the analogy maybe. Uh, so you have to remember that while you still think this is real, of course, it's going to be scary. And of course, it's going to be um, difficult at times to have someone say to you, this isn't real at all, when everything you know is this, this reality. Now, the idea of the heart's desire and salvation, as Sri Yukteswar talks about in the holy science, well, we have to remember that he's speaking from a, a different kind of level than most humans function at. In the same way that uh, he's speaking of this life experience as a dream in the, same, in the same way that you would speak of your dreams as a dream. 
um, when he's talking about the heart's desire, he's not talking about, you know, you want to have cupcakes for your birthday or you want to see your daughter uh, graduate from college, marry a doctor and go on to have a long, healthy life marrying the perfect person and then they have lots of kids and everything's fine it's not those kinds of hearts desires that we're talking about those are human hearts desires and those may or may not happen the hearts desire that he's talking about is the heart of us all the soul of us all the ground of being of us all and that is looking at things from a perspective much broader deeper, grander than most of us can do while we're functioning through our limited personality of our education, of our upbringing, of our conditioning. But that is the purpose of yoga practice, whether it's contemplating the philosophy, whether it's practicing particular meditation techniques, whether it's living a life embodying that philosophy and allowing the peace of those techniques to flow through, that is the purpose of yoga practice is to lift us out of, lift us out of this small sense of self, or at least expand our consciousness so that we can recognize the relationship of this small sense of self to the bigger picture. And through the practices of yoga, it is possible. That's why the science of yoga is here. Um, but as with all things, not everyone, it's not easy for everyone. Not everyone has the innate talent to do it, which is why it requires work. Uh, one of the individuals who wrote to me, uh, we had discussed contemplating what am I in the understanding the holy science class. And you know, that's a Ramana Maharshi technique, vichara, inquiry. She said, I, I tried it a few times and I can't quite get the hang of it. Okay, I responded. I said, well, that would be like me picking up the guitar a few times, having never played it before, and then trying to contact Jimmy Page and saying, you know, I don't know why I can't play the solo to Stairway to Heaven yet. Well, Jimmy Page didn't create that solo until he was well into his career and probably at the, the height of his mastery, spending a lot of time learning the guitar. So this is, not, this is not a criticism. This is just to point out that in the beginning, yes, there may be certain things that are recommended that you do, that when you try them the first few times, you think to yourself, what's this all about? I mean, I remember the first time I ever tried to play guitar. I thought to myself, what? This is, this is too hard. I want to play like that. And that's what we do with our yoga practice. We read books by Sri Yukteswar, or we read uh, about Ramana Maharshi, or we read about Paramahansa Yogananda. And then we say, well, okay, we're going to go find a teacher and learn these techniques. And then after a few months or a few sittings or a few years, um, we're going to expect to know and be and embody life like they did when most of the time people aren't even fully engaging the process like they did. All this we're discussing so that you recognize that it is a process and there will be difficulties for you to confront, but we can look at them like difficulties 
We can look at them like hindrances or obstacles. And what most people do when they approach an obstacle or a hindrance is they say, oh, well, I guess I just, I better just turn around. Um, that's in my way. So not going this way. But people who become clear in any field, they see an obstacle and they don't say, all right, I guess I better turn around. They either go past the obstacle, find a way through the obstacle, or learn and grow from the obstacle. So when you begin to experience a sense of crisis on your spiritual path, whether it be you get to a point in philosophical understanding that you just can't go any further, you think to yourself, I, I just can't do that. I can't admit that. I can't live that way. Well, if it's a consistent theme in many texts and many teachers extol it as necessary for the process, well, then you just might as well admit to yourself you're not you're just not doing it anymore and move on. And then eventually the inspiration will hopefully arise again and you'll come back a little stronger and can tackle it. But things like confronting this loss of sense of self that we are attached to, yes, that is profoundly troubling, especially if you are highly identified with all the quirks and idiosyncrasies of your personal life experience. And we all are to some degree at various stages. But going back to um, Sri Yukteswar, when he describes in the holy science the idea of penance, practicing patience, even-mindedness in all conditions, that doesn't just show up in the holy science. If I recall, that also shows up in the Yoga Sutras. It shows up in the Bhagavad Gita. It shows up in uh, Vasista's Yoga. Uh, Rama Maharshi mentions it. It's a common th theme that many of these body personality units <laughs> that we call teachers admit is necessary. Um, which means that if you come up against that obstacle, it's not an obstacle that you can just say, oh, well, you know, this is too far. I'm just going to turn around and still expect to realize, recognize, know what they recognized, realized, and experienced. So there will be challenges. It's not all flowers and chocolates and roses. It's not all just divine bliss and um, peacefulness all the time. You are working through ages and ages of conditioning. You are letting go of the total accumulation since time began of the uh, evolution of consciousness into form. And those of you who've taken the holy science classes with me, you know why I use that idea. But it's part of the natural process to go through the evolutions, the evolution of consciousness into form. And then once you get as deep into it as you can in the elements, fire, water, air, earth, ether, which make up this thing that we can touch and feel with objects and a sense of separation, well, it doesn't just stop at the bottom. It, it, it goes back. It pulls back into itself. It, it keeps spinning. So part of the process of being a human being and practicing yoga is to admit these challenges and find a way through them. Find the way through them the best you can. You can pull upon inspiration from your teachers, but 
whether you pull upon inspiration from them or not, whether they're living or dead, whether you actually are able to interact with them or not, um, in the end, it is you that has to find a way through that obstacle. That is your duty. Not your duty to run back home to your safety net of the teacher and say, well, just how did you do it? Yeah, every now and then you can do that. But at some point in time, you got to get kicked out into the world, <laughs> so spiritually speaking, so that you can begin to tackle those obstacles yourself. There's a theory that might consider that that's part of uh, consciousness itself growing, evolving. Because when it comes up against a challenge, well, how's it going to evolve? Well, you've got a part to play in that as a small self <laughs> at times. Ultimately, aiming to recognize that that small self is just a temporary expression of the bigger you, <laughs> which we are all a part of. Um, so when it comes to these ideas of crisis resulting from spiritual processes, they're not crises as in you just discovered that your house was destroyed, now you have to find a place to live. They are conscious choices for growth. That's what we're talking about as we discuss people who are actively engaging the spiritual process. You attend to it consciously, with intention. Very similar kinds of growing can occur just by living your life. Um, challenges may occur within relationships, within your own growth process. You may actually lose your house and have to figure out, well, wow, I was so identified with all those belongings in my house in that situation. I'm recognizing that that didn't, that's painful, but it's not who I am. And if you embrace it and can learn from it in a certain way, you might feel a bit freer because of that. Whereas you would never have experienced that freedom had you stayed in that same house with all the knickknacks and all the memories and all the things that you kept that kept you comfortable. So life can do it to you as well. Um, but on the spiritual path, we're doing it consciously. We're choosing to move into it. Like, uh, like an individual who goes to the gym who consciously chooses to work their body hard so they're sore for a few days so they get stronger and healthier versus someone who again, gets thrust out into nature and then has to learn survival and has to learn how to be strong um, because that's what life threw at them. So it's important to recognize that many times uh, these ideas that we see as, as crises, they're not crises, they are challenges. They're obstacles, they're hindrances, which are not there just to aggravate you. They're there because it's part of the process of realizing what you truly are and it might require a bit of faith for you to walk into those and explore them and be uncomfortable for a while. To exist in that discomfort and recognize that you can and you can also thrive and persevere until you make it out the other end and you say, wow, I had no idea I could make it through that desert. But I look back and I did, and I recognize just how, how strong I am now and what is true about myself, the resiliency that I have. So on the spiritual path, um, yes, it can be challenging to begin to realize that everything you thought was important uh, to your personality, all the personal little things that you thought were so important, that they're really not, that's, that's a hard thing to swallow. I'll tell you that from reading about other people talking about it. I'll tell you that from personal experience.
It was not easy for me. Um, it is not easy to admit that everything is divine consciousness, that everything is God. Meaning the pain that you feel sometimes, the joy that you feel, the neutrality that you feel, the good experiences, the bad experiences. It, it is not easy to admit that all of that is God. Why? Because of our cultural upbringing and how we've defined this idea of an all-good thing which will just surround you with candy canes and unicorns for the rest of your life. That's a childish notion. And it's one that is hard to break free from in many ways. But what has been found by those who have done it is that it is actually supremely freeing to not be bound by a small sense of I or childish notions about what is true. And in, from people that I have heard from, it, it, is, it is worth all of the pain sometimes that you have to go through to adapt and adjust and to grow into the realization of what you truly are. And again, we discuss it as though it's a growing into. It's really just a realization. It's really just a, oh, it's always been that way. In the same way that uh, it's like you lost your necklace and you're wandering around looking for your necklace. Where is my necklace? And it was a family heirloom and you're so upset that you uh, could have lost that most valuable, precious thing because maybe you're getting a little dementia. And then as you're wandering around, you just happen to go to your dresser where there's a mirror and you look up at the dresser just to see if your hair's all right. And then you see the necklace dangling there. And that sense of oh, relief that comes over you, oh, there it is all along. Wow, how did I, that's so silly. You know, I just, I just forgot I put it on. Well, that same kind of, you know, stress that a person goes through through those spiritual crises dissolves in that same way once they have the final realization because it's just like recognizing, no, I just forgot. Wow, it is, this has been true all along. And the way that this is realized is through the principles of yoga, which include meditating well every day, which include being skillful at your meditation practices, not doing them mechanically, but doing them actively, being engaged in them, and then being able to rest in the silence and stillness after those practice practices. And in order to be able to do that, you usually have to have a fairly healthy body so that you can sit upright not be fatigued or exhausted so that you can actually stay awake while you meditate, um, and then not be distracted by your body. And in order to have the time to put towards meditation, uh, well, then you have to engage the yamas and niyamas. You have to live a good life. You have to um, practice truthfulness, non-covetousness, contentment, uh, harmlessness. You have to take responsibility for your resources. All these things so that you have the proper foundation, the proper groundwork to actually be able to sit still and meditate in an intentional fashion. And then because you're meditating regularly, you get better at it, which means you are now able to go within. Now you're able to sit still be calm, practice pratyahara, internalization of awareness, and now you can contemplate these things like, well, what am I really? 
and you've got the strength of character and the fortitude and mental and emotional stability to look at, wow, maybe I'm not this small I that I think I am. And it brings up this fear and your heart quivers a little bit and you become aware of your body and you decide that's okay. I'm safe. I'm not going to die sitting here in meditation. So I'm going to, in this safe space, really look at and analyze and explore and go into what is this that I think I am? And of course, you play little head games for a while until you come to some mental realizations. And then you begin going deeper into the processes where maybe you experience the Om vibration, that constant tone that uh, yogis meditate upon that Sri Yukteswar talks about as the one true route to awakening. Or maybe uh, you become aware of a deep abiding peace and sense of oneness with all and you don't lose your awareness. You're able to simply be there, experience that, identify with it fully. And then you come back and you recognize, huh, I just had an experience where my body did not exist, my mind did not exist. It didn't matter what my parents thought of me. It didn't matter what my career was or how much money was in the bank or how healthy or not healthy I am. I had this profound experience where none of that even mattered. It didn't even exist. And yet I was still there. I was still present. I was still existing. And that starts to alter and change how you behave. And it also starts to draw you more deeply into the process because it shows you the potentials and possibilities of things. And in that way, you become uh, a more skillful, devoted, uh, attentive yogi. And then you are less likely to be disturbed by what people call spiritual crises because you, you, you're seeing it from a whole different perspective. You're not just being thrown into the deep end of the pool and all of a sudden all of your small sense of self has been taken away and you have a psychotic breakdown. It's not like that. You have, you have learned to swim. You have done the practices. You have built the proper structure for the experience such that now you can just jump in the deep end and you might not have ever done it before. So it still might have a little bit of fear there because you're like, well, I've done all this training, all this practice, but can I really give my full awareness to this ocean of consciousness and just dive right in? So you might have a little hesitation, but you know you're ready. So you, you overcome it and you just do it because you found that even in the past, the things that challenged you and, and scared you, once you just jump through them, you recognize, oh, it was okay after all. And then you have the profound experience. You have the awakening moment or the realization of what has always been true. But it, it all depends for those of you who are working this out intentionally, purposefully, consciously, uh, while life happens, um, that you build the proper structure. Uh, in the previous class on the Holy Science, the, the image came to me uh, I once had a mandolin built for me and the luthier would send me pictures of the mandolin as it was being built. You know, first the, the flat wood as it was cut uh, and then how it was shaped, the, the, the outline, the design, and then how the, the box of the instrument was put together. And then finally the neck was put on and then the fretboard and the frets and the bridge and the tuners. He kept sending me all these pictures of these incremental building blocks of how the mandolin is put together. And all of this came to me as we were discussing the holy science and I recognized that that is what our yoga practice is doing. I know the mandolin is, was being built. I saw it happening. Could I play the mandolin? Could I hear its sweet, its sweet music? Could I 
feel it in my hands and pluck it? Can I play those wonderful 9-8 Irish slip jigs that I love? No, but it's okay because once it was built, I could. And that took a while. When it comes to our realization of clarity and overcoming these spiritual crises, or even preventing them from developing something that completely turns you off of the path, um, it's like essentially everything you do is building the structure for the experience. And that includes how you live your life. One of the things Sri Yukteswar talks about and many other spiritual texts talks about is the company that you keep is important. Your dwelling place, what's in your environment, um, how you take care of your body, the things that you nourish your body with, all of this contributes to it. So the structure of the awakening experience isn't simply sit down and meditate and do the technique right. If you have someone telling you that, uh, you're not going to you're not going to get very far. But if you look at your whole life as though it is the the building of a structure which can allow that sweet music to to come forth of the awakening experience. Well, it takes time, and you have to know how to uh, plane the wood and shape the wood, and you have to know what kind of glue to use to hold the wood together, and you have to learn how to put the neck on at the perfect angle so that the notes aren't out of tune when you finally do put the strings on. And we're just talking about building a, an instrument that people play music on. But what we are getting into is the realization of oneness beyond polarities, beyond duality. Now think about how much time it takes for that luthier to learn the skill to even begin to try to build a mandolin. It's a lot. And again, put it into perspective, we're talking about waking up beyond the small sense of self. Now, of course, if you have the capacity to simply recognize I'm not the mind-body personality and be done with it, fine. It's not common that that's the case in this current time cycle, this current yuga, this current um, uh, age. It's not common for that to happen. It's possible. As you've heard me say and others say, once Ramana Maharshi was asked, what does it take to be awake? And Ramana Maharshi responded, he says, it's really very easy. All you have to do is be quiet. If you would ponder that alone, all you have to do is be quiet and start working it out for yourself and then applying it and kind of trial and error, figuring out what does he mean by be quiet. Uh, eventually, you would see what he means. And you would also recognize, wow, that was simple. <laughs> As we practice yoga, we are building the structure for clarity, for realization, to know what Sri Yukteswar knew, what Yogananda knew, what Roy E. Jean Davis do, knew, what um, Parm, um, Ramana Maharshi knew, any of these teachers that we can think of that were actually clear and awake. Anyone. doesn't even have to be in the Hindu yogic tradition. There are mystics and other traditions as well. But they built their life such that it supported that thing. And then they were able to abide in the self, abide in that state. And again, this is no different than anything else. If my mandolin builder uh, 
didn't do it perfectly right, that would not have been a good mandolin. Meaning if he had built everything just right, but then decided that um, the size of the frets didn't matter based on the neck angle, then that one thing would have totally made the mandolin unplayable and no sweet music would have come out of it. It just would have been a box that looked pretty uh, with some strings on it that could probably make some screechy noises. That's just to build a mandolin. I'm only telling you this because um, what is described by our spiritual teachers, they're not recommendations. They're not just, maybe you should try that. They're a set of instructions that if you follow them, you will know what they know. And that's not meant to be uh, taking a, a moral righteous attitude, which is often the case when it comes to spiritual things. We kind of pull up that sense of, well, they're just being righteous and, and so on, self-righteous and think they know more. Um, but again, it's like someone building a mandolin. The, the, the master mandolin builder knows how it's supposed to be done. You're not going to go to the master mandolin builder and say, yeah, but uh, I want to use this other kind of wood, which the master mandolin builder knows is just going to collapse the moment you put one string on it. And you say, yeah, but I really want to do it that way. <laughs> and he'll say, get out of my shop. He's like, you're not, I'm not going to teach you to, to be a mandolin builder. And then people will say, you learn mandolin building from him? Because there's, there's a way that things are done. Again, not because of uh, a moral superiority or a sense of righteousness. And this all dawned on me uh, while reading through the Bhagavad Gita because uh, qualities and characteristics of consciousness are described in the Bhagavad Gita that say, if you embody these things, self-knowledge just happens. So in my mind, all of a sudden, it became clear as though um, we're just putting together a puzzle, really. And there are specific ways those puzzle pieces fit. And if you put them together, then the picture reveals itself. But again, what many people want to do is they just want to do it their way. They want, to, they want to pretend that they're on a spiritual path. They want to pretend that they're really interested in doing what needs to be done. And so they'll go to the lectures and the workshops and they'll meet up with their spiritual teacher and the spiritual teacher of the workshops will say, this is how it's done. But they'll go back home. They'll say, yeah, but you know that doesn't really fit my lifestyle or my personality. So I think I'm going to try it this way. And they try it that way and they wonder why it doesn't work. Um, so please be aware that there are certain ways of approaching this and they are outlined in the Bhagavad Gita, the Yoga Sutras. They are outlined in the Holy Science. A good um, commentary on the Bhagavad Gita, uh, The Eternal Way by Roy Eugene Davis. You can find the Holy Science uh, on Amazon. It's a little hard to follow, which is one of the reasons why I decided it'd be important to build a class on it. Uh, for the Yoga Sutras, I have wrote a commentary on the Yoga Sutras, Kriya Yoga, Continuing the Lineage of Enlightenment. There's also a downloadable 26-hour course on the Yoga Sutras at kriyayogaonline.com to help you get into it. Roy Eugene Davis's commentary on the Yoga Sutras is... Uh, one of my favorites, The Science of Self-Realization, that's his book uh, with the commentary. And the way that you know whether or not someone's being sort of dogmatic or righteous about it is if what they're teaching is peculiar to their own, their own teaching. But if you find something repeated over and over and over 
in various sources, there's a consistency there that's telling you these are not recommendations. These are not personal quirks made up by some teacher who thinks he knows what he's talking about. These are, th th this is the formula that will build the life which blossoms and results in clarity of consciousness. And some of that formula is not easy. For example, um, we talked about practicing patience, even-mindedness in all circumstances. If you would do nothing else, not even meditate, but you would practice patience, contentment in all circumstances, I think you would find that you probably made a heck of a lot more spiritual pro uh, progress than you did sitting there trying to act like you were meditating for 40 years. But what I mean by that is you actually have to do it for real, not pretending, not acting like you're patient, not like the kind of people who um, sit there and smile and you can kind of see that they're just seething on the inside, but they can practice patience so they don't express what's deep down inside. I mean the person who's truly patient, who they are present no matter what's happening. That is patience. But Sri Kishwar describes um, these eight meannesses of the heart to overcome. And these are not quite, some of them aren't quite as dominant today as they might have been in his time, but many of them are, are still very prevalent in the human experience. The eight bondages or snares are hatred, shame, fear, grief, condemnation, race prejudice, pride of family, and smugness. Well, let's focus on hatred, shame, fear, grief, condemnation. Um, race prejudice is a big one. I'm going to assume that people interested in yoga hopefully have practiced enough ahimsa and harmlessness that they're not caught up in that anymore. Um, but hatred, shame, fear, grief, condemnation, well, those are hard to shake, aren't they? And what we have to remember is that we're not saying that you must not ever be afraid or you must not ever feel grief. The human body and the personality will experience those things. It's not identifying with them, such that when a, a grievous thing occurs, it doesn't then define the entirety of your life. When the grievous thing occurs, you go through the grief process, and then you recover, and you continue onward knowing what is true, that the experience was temporary. It's not the real thing. Fear. It's okay to be afraid every now and then, but you move through the fear. You don't let it define you. Hatred and shame. These are things that we all have to work out depending on where we are in our stages of growth, because we have been born into a world where things like fear, shame, and grief, and condemnation are commonplace. Uh, there are difficult people in the world which cause these experiences to be to come forth. But as we grow and we lift ourselves up above the need to cause fear or shame or condemn others, and even in subtle ways, the world does get clearer. And that's just a natural function of time and the evolution of consciousness. Yes, crises in the spiritual process can seemingly occur. But often what these crises are, are obstacles or hindrances that are just part of the growing experience. And you can avoid them or you can go with them. Certain things in nature can't avoid obstacles. When the 
crayfish wants to get bigger and stronger and pass on its genes, well, it has to molt, which means it has to essentially bust out of its own skin and then go hide under a rock so a fish doesn't eat it until it finally develops a hard shell again and can go about its business. That's a natural process. In the human organism, the human situation, uh, yes, we have growing pains as teenagers, um, but most of our experience and growth is mental, emotional, and psychological, so that we can finally just accept and realize what has always been true. If I heard the quote correctly, I remember um, supposedly Yogananda said that 90% of um, the spiritual battle is simply becoming psychologically healthy. And that's challenging at times. But with a positive attitude that it's possible, with faith, with the will to move forward, with the ability to um, develop discernment, to know what is true and what is not true, all these things result by practicing the principles of yoga. And I don't just mean meditation or postures. I mean the full eight limbs of yoga, yama, nyama, asana, pranayama, pratyahara, dhyana, dharana, samadhi, and so on. Uh, that becomes a natural thing. At times, it hurts. The pain passes. As we walk along the path, it's important to recognize that that is the reality of it. And that is the reality of any great adventure, isn't it? And how many of you would go read your adventure novels that simply said, ah, they walked out their front door, they had an easy ride over the hills to the dragon's cave. The dragon said, sure, you want all my gold? Take it. <laughs> and the dragon flew away and they never saw it again. And then the town was uh, rich and prosperous. You might read one or two of those because you're tired of, tired of watching the news and it made you feel better. But at some point in time, you start to see, well, the, the hero grew through the adventure, through the, the, the difficulties that they went through. And then they had the knowing afterwards. Well, that's what we're doing in our lives. Um, we don't have to be heroes. We can be spiritual heroes, which is solitary, overcoming that um, basic delusion that you're just a mind-body personality, and then uh, rising into the realization of the fullness of yourself, which is eternal, which is clear, timeless, serene, and whole. That's, that's our adventure. And as with all adventures, there's going to be stuff that causes us doubt or fears that we have to walk through or crises that seem completely overwhelming and unbearable. But if we can, if even if it takes simple prayer and willpower, find a way through it, in the end, um, you will understand why it was worth it. Consider this. Anytime you start to feel or sense that you're going through some kind of spiritual crisis and recognize that it's okay and it's often part of the process, and that there are people in this world that can help you see through that from time to time. But ultimately, it is you that has to do the work and, and become self-sufficient. Recognize you can do it. It's not about anyone else or anything. It's your own awakening process. This episode of the Kriya Yoga podcast was made possible by donations from Kriya Yoga apprenticeship students and supporters of our Patreon community, at www.patreon.com forward slash kriya yoga.